your name. Amen. It was the turn of one of the elders of the church to visit one of the church members, and he rang the doorbell and was waiting to be received, but no one came to the door, and he sensed that somebody was at home, so he kept on ringing. And as an act, a kind of final departing act, he thought he would be clever, so he wrote Revelation 3, verse 20 down on one of his uh, business cards, which says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And he stuck it through the letterbox. Then two days later, the same elder received his calling card back in an envelope with a brief note attached that simply contained the text from Genesis 3.10, which says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. (laughs) It's It's never happened to me yet. Don't want it to happen either. This church is led by a a team of elders, three of us. Currently have three at the moment. Paul, uh, Keith, give us a wave, Keith. Give us a wave, Keith. Paul, where's Paul at the back there? That's the three of us who are the the church elders, work as a team uh, leading this church. Now, this is what we look like now, but 20 years ago, this is what we look like. (laughs) You can see what eldership does to to men, can't you? This This is what it does to you, 20 years of trying to serve, well, we haven't been serving Jesus for 20 years, but being elders recently, this is what we now look like, the haggard result of uh, being church elders. And you can see that the years haven't been kind to us, and it's taken its toll on our ravishing good looks, and um, compose yourself, Keith, it's it's not that bad. We'll be working out which of us is the greyest, I think. Now, you might wonder why we have a team of elders. And you might wonder what our role is. This, this might be new for you. Some of you have been in this church a long time. You're probably uh, familiar with all this. You might be new to this, and you, wonder, you, you might wonder what eldership's all, around, uh, all about and how churches are meant to be led and what the Bible teaches on that. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. There's an outline uh, on the back of the bulletin, and it's got all the information on there that we're looking at this morning. If you want to use that, it's there for you, and all the notes and all the points are there. And they'll be up on the screen as well. We're working our way through... Uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul was one of the main church leaders in the New Testament. He was writing to Timothy, who was his kind of assistant. He was given responsibility for uh, one of the churches in Ephesus, what is now modern-day Turkey. And he was writing to him about a whole variety of things, uh, partly how to lead churches and how churches should be functioning. And what we discover as we, uh, well, we're going to read through this in a moment, but we need to take a step back as well and see what the the rest of the New Testament says about church leadership. And as we do so, what we discover is that there are uh, four names given to church leaders in the New Testament. They all mean the same thing, or they all refer to the same uh, role, but they just sort of refer to different aspects of that role. One of them is translated into two different words in the English Bible. So in our English Bibles, we effectively have five different names. Now, they all refer to the same role in the local church, but they refer to different aspects of that role. So the first one is elder, the second term is overseer, the third term is shepherd, the the fourth term is pastor, and the fifth term is leaders. And leaders is simply a kind of catch-all phrase which summarizes uh, all the other terms. And all of those titles referring to the same position. They just refer to different aspects of that same role. Now, a quick word on the term pastor. The, The word pastor is just the Latin word for shepherd. And for some reason, the Latin word still gets used instead of the simpler English word shepherd. And because the Latin word is used, 
it, it causes all sorts of confusion amongst people in churches about what church leadership should look like. So pastor is not an office that raises one of the elders up to being more important or above the other elders. Actually, uh, the Bible says that all elders are shepherds. That's the same word as pastor. So all the elders are pastors. However, the term pastor does often get used to refer perhaps to one of the elders who has a, uh, a kind of standalone role or has a role like myself, as, which is full-time and paid by the church, and perhaps a teaching role and that kind of thing. And that's fine as long as we understand that it doesn't elevate that person, doesn't elevate me above the rest of the team. It's just to kind of help people understand their role and perhaps their full-time role and so on. So elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, they are just different names used to describe the same position in uh, a local church, which were and are the leaders, the elders of that local church. And these elders, overseers, shepherds, pastors, whatever uh, the term is used in the New Testament, always in the New Testament of the Bible, they are a plural group of male equal elders. You never have just one of these leaders. One or more of the team may have a specific role uh, in the way that I do, but even though that's the case, I am just the same as the rest of the team, okay? And we saw last week that eldership is limited to men because of the concept of headship. Headship is God's order or structure for the family and the church, and so eldership is a male role. Now, if you want to chat with me about that afterwards, if that's new to you as well, then by all means come and talk to me afterwards. I'd be happy to do that. Now, so we've been working our way through uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, and this is partly about Timothy being the kind of man that he should be as a, as a servant of God, but it's also uh, partly Paul trying to help Timothy to know how to lead and to be responsible for these group of churches, particularly this church in Ephesus. And in the bit we're looking at today, Paul talks about the role and qualifications of church elders. He uses the word overseer, but it's used interchangeably. It just means the same role, okay? So I'm going to refer to it as elder right the way throughout this morning. That's the term we use here, but, it, but in this passage it's overseer, but it means the same thing. And Paul starts this section by saying in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, he says this, Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Can we get that verse up? That's great, thank you. Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, being an elder, he desires a noble task. So firstly, the desire to be an elder, to be an overseer, is a good desire. Sometimes people say, well, the people you really want to be elders are those that don't really desire the role. Well, actually, that's not what the Bible says here. There's nothing wrong with setting your heart on being an elder. If you're a man and you set your heart on being elder, that being an elder, Paul says that you desire a noble task. What's important is that if that is your desire in your heart, that you search your heart to make sure that the reason you desire that role is a godly desire and not one for perhaps personal selfish um, motives or reasons. So if you are a man and you've set your heart on being an elder, if you sense that God is calling you to be a church elder, then please come and let Keith know or, or Paul know or myself know Come and tell us, because we'd love to discuss that with you, because we need to expand our eldership team here, and we want to also plant a new church elsewhere, so we need more elders. So come and uh, share that desire with us, if that's a desire that God's put on your heart. Being an elder is a noble task. It's a really, really important task, and that's because it involves managing God's household, God's family. We referred last week to um, a little bit further down the chapter, 1 Timothy 3 and verses 14 to 16, which I'm just going to read to you. And Paul is 
kind of summing up what he's been saying about these instructions for how a church should function. And he says this, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. That is why church is so important, or one of the reasons, and that's why leadership in a local church is such an important task because the church is God's family, it's God's household, but also it's the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And Paul goes on and he kind of expands what this truth is. He says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He, that's Jesus, appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. And that, if you like, is the truth that's been uh, entrusted to the local church, to God's household. It's our job as God's people, as God's local family. And, and each church is a little bit of God's family around the world. It's our job as the church to handle, to, uh, to, to guard and to spread that great truth that Jesus, that God appeared in the person of Jesus in this world, that he came, that he lived on earth, that he died for us on the cross, that he took the punishment for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again. And right now he's ascended, he's back in heaven, and he's there ruling and reigning at God's right hand. That is the truth that we've been given. And so the church elders have this phenomenally important role of not just leading the church, but actually of making sure that that church guards and spreads and portrays that wonderful truth, that, that, that pillar and foundation of this amazing truth that God loves us, that God came into the world and uh, died for us there on the cross. So what is this noble task then? What does the New Testament teach us about the role or the task of an elder specifically? Well, there are five key roles that elders should carry out. The first is found in Titus 1 verse 7. Paul writing to Titus says, an overseer manages God's household. We saw last week that God's household is one of the ways in which a local church is described. It's in that verse that we've just read. So elders, firstly, provide oversight, management, direction for the affairs and activities of the church. And I've put the various references for each one of these next to each point. Secondly, elders provide spiritual protection for the local church. They have to protect the church from attacks from outside, and they have to sometimes, sadly, protect the church from things that go wrong inside the church too. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is protect God's family, God's household, and to protect this truth that's been entrusted to us. Thirdly, elders provide Bible teaching. Whether that's the formal teaching from the front like this, like I'm doing this morning, or perhaps sometimes a kind of more informal one-on-one -on -one teaching as we work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Here at Regent, the three elders, the three of us together, provide about 50%. I do about 45%, something like that. And Paul and Keith, uh, in their uh, time, in their spare time, they both have full-time uh, real jobs, secular jobs. Um, they also assist me, and, and we work as a team, and we deliver perhaps 50 55% of the Bible teaching here uh, and then any other teaching that takes place is, taught, is, is brought by those that, are, that come with the authority of the church elders of the three of us. Fourthly, elders provide pastoral care. Elders act as shepherds. That's where the word pastor comes from. Elders act as shepherds, caring for those who are in need in their church. And those needs might be physical, they might be spiritual, and, and everything in between. And the last key role is this, that elders carry out discipline in the local church. So the local church is like a family. It's, it, it's God's household. It's God's family. And all families need structure. All families need 
discipline and, and authority. Otherwise, all sorts of problems can occur. You just have a free-for-all and things go wrong. And sometimes part of the role of church elders is to admonish and rebuke people when their behavior is sometimes unacceptable. In, in some cases, that will requ- uh, require a gentle reminder just to kind of get alongside someone and challenge people. Sometimes it will require uh, a stronger rebuke. Sometimes it might mean the elders sadly having to remove someone from church membership. Uh, or from a ministry that they're involved with. It's an aspect of eldership that's really hard and is not pleasant, especially for the elders, but it is necessary. So they are the, the, uh, the, the tasks, if you like, that we can summarize the role and the tasks of elders, of church leaders, of overseers in the local church. So all of this means that the qualifications for the people who do this are really important. Before someone can be an elder, they need to meet all the requirements that the Bible lists, if at all possible. And the passage that we're looking at today contains one of the lists of the qualifications required. There's three passages, we're going to look at them all, but today's passage probably contains most of them. So we're going to read from 1 Timothy 3. We're working our way through this letter. This subject this morning might seem a bit of a niche subject. There's only three of us here at Elders. So what are the rest of you meant to be thinking while we're, you know, am I just preaching to Keith and Paul? Hopefully you'll see that, no, it's not just, I'm not just preaching at the three of us. Hopefully we can all see our responsibility for helping us be the kind of men we should be, and also develop others to be those men, to be those elders. So it might seem a bit of a niche subject. You might, not, you might feel it doesn't refer to you. You're not one of the elders. Understand that, but bear with us, and hopefully you'll understand where we're coming from. So 1 Timothy 3, this is where we're kind of breaking into this letter, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 7. So if you've got a Bible handy and you want to follow, that's great. Otherwise, you can just listen as I read through it. So Paul is continuing in his instructions about what a church should look like, how it should function. He says this, Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, there are two other passages that... uh, Uh, One is uh, a letter that Paul writes to a guy called Titus, and one is a letter that Peter, uh, who was one of the other disciples, writes. So if you want to flick over the page, we're going to look at Titus, uh, and it's chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. And again, Paul is listing uh, qualifications. They're very similar, but there are some different ones. He says this, um, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And then over to 1 Peter, lastly, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Peter says this, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder 
a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So having read that, those three lists of qualifications, Paul, Keith, and myself would now like to formally announce our resignation uh, as being clearly unfit for office. So Paul gives us four areas of qualification, personal character, home life, Bible teaching ability, and experience. And as we work through these four areas, I just want to say three things. Firstly, as you listen, you may think that these are areas in which we as elders need to get better at, need to improve at, and you're probably going to be right. And if that's the case, then can I ask you to pray for us in that area? Uh, please, would you pray for us? Rather than criticize us, which is the easy thing to do, would you pray for us that we might be the kind of elders that we need to be, that we should be, that we want to be? And secondly, as and when we appoint new elders, which we want to do in the, in the future, please remember what we're saying today, because it's important that we recognize all future elders as being biblically qualified. And thirdly, if you have set your heart on being an elder, being an overseer, if you sense that God is calling you to be an elder, then listen really carefully as we look at some of these uh, qualifications this morning. So firstly, if you look at the issue of personal character, we find that God expects a really high standard from those that he calls, that he appoints as elders. Paul says that the overseer must be above reproach. In other words, there's no accusation that can be brought about against that person or about his way of life. That, that doesn't mean that he's perfect. It doesn't mean he has a clean past. Actually, it will be the opposite because the very definition of a Christian is someone who has a past that's been forgiven. And we have a, a continuous struggle with sin in our lives, all of us. But this isn't about the past. This is about how we live now. There's no accusation can be brought against us about any kind of flaw uh, or kind of inconsistency uh, in our lives. And that's a really difficult one to live up to. Elders must also be men that are faithful in their marriages if they're married. It doesn't say you have to be married as, a, as an elder, but if they're married, they should be, uh, Paul says, the overseer must be the husband of one wife or faithful to his wife, as some newer translations put it. It doesn't mean that they can only get married once or that they even have to be married, but that if they are married, literally, it's a one-woman man. In other words, uh, being faithful to that wife, not being known as a flirt, not being somebody whose eyes are always roving, someone who is a, a one-woman man, totally committed to their wife. Now, the three big struggles that most men have, especially those who are put into positions of power and authority, are with sex and money and power. And Paul tackles all three of these in this section. Most politicians, most people in leadership come crashing down because they fall in one of these three areas. And as men, we are incredibly vulnerable in these areas, which is why Paul tackles these. And when it comes to a man's sex life, it's so important that all Christian men, but especially church elders, are taking every step that they can to live a pure life and be faithful to their wives if they're married. Verse 2 says that he is to be temperate. In other words, elders are to be moderate, not, not extreme individuals in any way. They're to be self-controlled and disciplined. They need to be able to control their behavior, and they need to be disciplined in the way that they live and in the use of their time. And of course, if they are self-controlled and if they are disciplined, then that in turn will lead them, uh, lead them to being men who are respectable and who are upright as they're looked at. 
Verse 3 instructs us that elders are not to men who get drunk or drink to excess, which is, of course, I guess, part of what it means to be self-controlled. If you're self-controlled, then you don't get drunk. And verse 3 says that elders are not to be violent, they're to be gentle. And in Titus, Paul includes the phrase, not quick-tempered. Elders often find themselves in situations where they need to be calm and measured, and church members need to know that the elders are gentle and approachable and gracious and aren't going to bite their heads off when they approach them. And they're not to be quarrelsome. In other words, elders are not to be men who are always looking for an argument or for a fight and and reacting aggressively to other people. Paul says elders are not to be overbearing. They're to try to balance being strong leaders, and that's important that we have strong leadership in a church, yet at the same time not trying to overstate their own will and and kind of assert their will uh, over other people, not trying to lord it over people. And they're to be men, Paul says, that are free from the love of money. And if an elder is caught up with uh, money and materialism, then their eyes won't be on God. Our hearts are where uh, our treasure is. And if our, if our eyes are on money and materialism, our eyes won't be on God. Our affections instead will be on money and possessions, and that can lead to both the elder and often, sadly, then the church taking its focus off God and, and having wrong priorities in the way that he lives, but also then the way that the church functions. In in Titus, Paul goes further and says that an elder must not be dishonest. That might seem an obvious thing. And and Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5. You know, elders have a lot of access and freedom when it comes to the church finances. And it's vitally important that they can be trusted. It's vitally important that you feel as a church that you can trust us uh, with church finances. We also have a group of trustees, which also bring extra accountability. We're a registered charity and all that kind of thing. We don't make any payments without two signatures, all those kind of things. But it's really, really important that there's massive transparency uh, when it comes to church finances. Uh, and elders, therefore, mu- must not be dishonest, mustn't be any hint of that at all. And if, as we do in this church, we have one or more of the elders, which is, in, in this case, myself, who's being paid by the church, it's really important that people have that sense of confidence that the paid elder isn't just in it for the money or isn't in it for the money at all, that they're there because they want to serve God. The money is the right thing to do. Paul says that an elder who works full-time for the church should be paid properly, but it's not about the money. It's their heart to serve God. We're going to look at the, the whole issue of uh, elders being financed in a few weeks' time in 1 Timothy 5, but it shouldn't be the finance that motivates the church elder. Instead, they should be eager to serve those who are in their church family, as Peter says, and they should be concerned for the good of the other Christians in their care. That's what it means to be shepherds of God's flock. It's about those who are concerned for the care, for the well-being of those that God's entrusted to their care. Paul goes on in Titus to say that an elder must love what is good and that he should be a man who is holy, a man of holiness. In other words, elders should be known for a lack of sin in their life and for purity and for those who are actively pursuing a godly lifestyle. They should be known as those men who are passionate about living for Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're sinless. It doesn't mean that they don't get it wrong. It doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Spend any time with Paul, Keith, or myself, you'll soon discover that that's not the case. We are fallen human beings who are just saved by God's grace. But elders should be those who are actively pursuing a godly lifestyle, actively pursuing holiness and righteousness. And Paul tells us that elders, therefore, should be a good example to the other Christians. The rest of the church should be able, with confidence, to look to the elders and want to follow their example in the way that they live. And then lastly in this section, in verse 7, 
Paul tells us that the elders ought to have a good reputation with those who are not part of the church, with non-Christians outside. So elders need to be known for honesty and integrity in their jobs and at work and out there in the local neighborhood because Satan will do all he can to try and discredit a local church and he will always come nearly all the time attacking the elders first and foremost and their wives and their families and so on. And if there's anything that Satan can use to attack God's people, he will, and particularly where elders are concerned, Satan will always target leaders. So that's the first section. We thought about the personal character that an elder needs to have and the, 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 the kind of standards are so high, aren't they? And then we come to the home life. Verse 2 says that they're to be hospitable. The mark of a good elder's home is an open home, a one that's always open to his church family. Verse 4 tells us that an elder is to manage his own family well. Their children must obey them and give them proper respect. I hope you're all listening, kids, this morning. Just point that out. Verse 4 tells us that an elder is to, mar- is to manage his own family well and the children are to obey them and give them proper respect. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because children don't always play ball. And the point that Paul makes is, is that if an elder can't raise his own family well or his own kids properly, how can he care for God's children? How can he care for God's household? What's much harder is what Paul says in, one, in, in Titus 1 verse 6 because there he says that an elder's children believe. But the problem with that is that his child believing isn't something that he can control. Believing in Jesus is, is a personal choice that each one of us has to make, isn't it? Believing in, in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, that's a step that... Uh, whether it's a child or an adult, they have to make for themselves. And, and whilst the elder should be raising that child in, a, in, a, in an environment and a culture where faith in Christ is encouraged and facilitated, ultimately, that is something that, as a parent, that's outside of my control. Now, the word believe can also be translated, in fact, is normally translated in the rest of the New Testament as faithful. And, and, and it may be that that's what Paul has in mind here. It's the idea that whilst under the authority of the parents, the child is faithful to what the parents teach and believe rather than them necessarily having personal saving belief in Jesus. The third section is that of Bible teaching authority. Elders need to be able to teach from the Bible. It doesn't mean that they all have to have the spiritual gift of teaching, which is a separate thing. Uh, Not every elder has the ability to stand up at the front and teach from the front in every church, but they must be able to defend the Bible. They must be able to defend the Christian faith. They need to to be able to instruct other Christians and non-Christians too. And they need to be able to uh, be those that those in the church family have confidence that they can go to and approach and ask them to explain parts of the Bible to them. The last section in this passage is experience. Look at verse 6. Paul says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And, and basically what Paul is saying is, look, if a new Christian, a brand new Christian is appointed as an elder, Paul says, look, pride might get the better of them just as it did with Satan. Satan was an angel who sought a position in heaven that he wasn't qualified to, uh, for or, or entitled to, and he was judged by God and thrown out of heaven. And look at the problems that that has caused ever since. And aside from anything else, how can a brand new Christian or a new Christian teach other people until they've been taught? And how can they care for and shepherd people if they haven't experienced God's uh, work and uh, they haven't experienced life and God at work in their own lives? Being an elder doesn't mean you have to be old. That's not what the word means. But it does mean that you have to be a man that's mature in the spiritual sense. Now, I'm not sure how Keith and Paul feel after what we've looked at this morning. But as one of the elders here, uh, it's certainly sober for me to go through these qualifications. And, And that's because it demonstrates just how important the role of an elder is 
but it also reminds me that, that God demands and, and, and wants and seeks the highest standards because the work of an elder is, is, is so important, it's so key, because the function of the church is so key. Now, if you've set your heart on being an elder, or if you sense that God is calling you to be an elder, then that's great, that's fantastic. I want to encourage that. Come and tell us, come and talk to us, come and share that with us. If that's you, then look carefully at the list of instructions, uh, sorry, the list of qualifications that we looked at today. And if you're aware that you need to work on some of those qualifications, then can I encourage you to pray about those areas that you know that you struggle with and, and, and ask God to help you grow in those areas. And come and talk to Keith and Paul and myself and we can perhaps work with you and try and help you and encourage you to grow and develop in those areas. So what I want to do now is just, just take a moment or two just to bow our heads, just to close our eyes, and maybe just a moment of reflection. There may be people here this morning that God is at work in, you, in your heart. God is speaking to you. God has been perhaps speaking to you in the past and is this morning about becoming an elder, about being an overseer. And if God is speaking to you this morning, then just, just in the quietness of this moment, if that's something that God is putting on your heart, uh, one of the guys this morning, then just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And if that is you, come and talk to us. Come and talk to me or Keith or Paul afterwards. Let's just have a few moments just to, to hear God, to, to hear what he's saying to us this morning. Can I challenge and encourage all of you here today to pray for those in our church that God might be calling and raising up to be elders here in the future? Please would you pray that God would speak to them and that they would recognize God's leading in their own life and that they would work hard to ensure they're biblically qualified for that role. So let's just bow our heads once more. A few more moments of silent prayer where perhaps each one of us will be praying for other people here this morning where God might be at work. Would you pray for for those, perhaps you don't know who they are, but just pray that God would speak this morning to those in our congregation, that he would guide men within this church to become future elders. Let me just pray for those men. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak clearly to men in our congregation about being church elders, about being overseers. Would you speak? Would you guide them? Would you impress upon their hearts uh, if that is your plan, if that's your calling on their lives? Would you raise them up? Would you pray that this church may grow, that this church may expand, that our ability to impact this region for you, for your glory would increase as we grow uh, with elders. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're God's family with God's household, and God has appointed overseers to manage his household, men that are called elders or overseers or shepherds or pastors. The New Testament model is always a, a plural group of male elders who provide management and direction and spiritual direction for the church. They provide spiritual protection. They provide Bible teaching. They provide pastoral care, and they carry out church discipline. The, the position or office of an elder is one that we should all respect and submit to. But I want to say this, that the person who occupies that position, i.e. the three of us, is no different to any other Christian. We are all just the same in, in the eyes of Jesus. We're not elevated. The office is an important office, but the people who occupy that office are just the same as every other Christian. There's no hierarchy in God's uh, eyes. 
Elders are not to seek to be served, but instead should seek to live and serve as Jesus did. Elders have a huge responsibility and one day have to give an account for how they've led their church. Elders carry huge burdens and huge responsibilities. And, and much of that is unknown to the rest of the church family. There's loads of things that go on, great pastoral issues that as elders we try and help other people with that most people are not aware of. So they need your help, we need your help. Keith, Paul, myself, we, we, would, we crave your help. We crave your prayers, we crave your support. We are fallen human beings who've been made right with God through Jesus, not through anything we've done. And we still struggle every day to live as God wants us to and to lead the church as God wants us to. We make mistakes and we get it wrong. If you don't believe us, just ask our wives. They'll, I'm sure we'll back that up. We are not superhuman and we desperately need God's help each day. So please would you pray for us? Please, would you encourage us? If you need to speak to us, then please always do that, whichever one of us. We want to work in partnership as a family, as part of God's household, so that God's name might be glorified in this church and in this region. I'm going to ask, as we, as we come to a close this morning, we're going to sing in a moment, but I'm going to ask first Paul and Keith just to come up and join me. And we're going to pray. Uh, Paul, come on up. And Keith, come up and join me. And uh, I'm going to ask um, Bob and Anne and Martha, if they'll just come up and pray for us. We uh, are just three guys. There's nothing unique or special about us, believe me, and we need God's help. We need your help. So Anne is going to uh, pray for us first, and then perhaps Bob, and then um, uh, Martha. Uh, so would you pray for us, please? <laughs> 